Good morning. Would everyone please stand? Today's passage comes from Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, and verses 17 through 18. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Verses 17. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a mute spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. This is God's word for us today. You may have a seat. Uh, Good morning, everybody. After all, a little shaky start. My name is Greg. I am... Uh, an elder emeritus here at Grace Community Church. Uh, what that means is that, um, all right, so he's, I've been an elder for, I was an elder for about 20 years, and I'm old. Okay, so there we go. Uh, yeah, today is, my, today is my 65th birthday. So thank you. Very good. My, um, I have applied for my Medicaid Part A, and it's in the mail. So here we go. Um, anyway, um, yeah, this morning, we, we're, we're continuing our look um, at receiving the king, our look at Mark. Um, we're in chapter 9 today, and today we have, the, the passage is actually 29 verses long, and so we're, we're going to kind of go through this kind of quickly. But anyway, the title for today's uh, sermon is called The Kingdom of God, Hope and Belief for the Now and the Not Yet, and goes along with our series, Receiving the King. You see, the scriptures speak a great deal using this language about a king and a kingdom. Uh, In the the big picture of things, it talks about that there's the kingdom of God and it exists in eternity past in the heavenlies. But in that kingdom, there was a rebellion, that there was an angelic host that wanted to rebel against the king. They wanted to rebel against God because they wanted to be like God. They wanted to ascend to a throne. And with this rebellion came an exile, and they were cast out, a third of those heavenly hosts that we refer to as demonic entities and demons. And we're going to look at one of them today. And where were they cast? They were not cast to a place called hell. That is their place of judgment and eternal torment that waits for them. But the scriptures say that where they were cast was here, 
to earth. In fact, Satan, Lucifer, is given the title of the prince of the power of the air. This is his domain. And God then decided that he was going to intervene here, and he placed, uh, he created a place called Eden, and in there he created man and woman. And in fact, it said that he gave them dominion, another kingly term. He said, I am going to give you dominion. I'm going to pass on this kingly authority to you, and I want you to rule and reign over my creation. And again, just like in the heavenlies, man and woman decided to rebel. And they were cast out. And of course, mankind has been broken and in sin ever since. But the scriptures then talk about the God, because of his great love, was going to intervene again. He wants to be with his people. And so they had, he, they had the tabernacle and they had the temple where God would meet with his people. And the scriptures say that at one time there would be this first advent. Advent, a word, a kingly language that talks about the, uh, the coming or the pronouncement of someone of royalty. And the scriptures talked about that there would come one, the Messiah, and Jesus Christ came. And we will be celebrating that shortly. That the first advent, God came, clothed himself in flesh, came to live here. And he came here on an assignment. He came here to take care of our greatest enemy, which was our own sin. And as we look at the scriptures, it said that he lived a perfect life and he chose to offer himself up as a sacrifice for our sin so that our sin can be forgiven and we now have access to the one true king, God himself, should we come to him in forgiveness and repent of our sins and we will then receive then his spirit and we will be adopted into his then kingly family. But it doesn't end there because the scriptures then talk about that there will come another advent. Jesus Christ will come again, not this time to save, but to judge. And what he will do the first time he came to take to battle against our greatest enemy, the next time he will come to battle all of his enemies. And the scriptures say that he will create a new heavens and a new earth a new kingdom where he will reign with his people for eternity and on and on forever. The kingdom of God is a dominant, dominant theme in the scriptures. And what we're going to do is we're going to see a little peek into what's to come. We're going to get a mouthful of where we're at right now. And just again, a little disclaimer, okay? Just like Thanksgiving dinner. We're not going to be able to get it all in in one sitting, okay? Some of the script, the long passage, and as Brooks has said in some of the passages that he's gone over, there are some things that we're not going to address. There is the study guide, please, in the office uh, when you leave. If you don't have one, get one because that will have some questions. It'll help you to wrestle and answer some of the questions that you might have. So, Two big themes that I want to cover today as we look at this. In the kingdom that is now, but it's not fully yet. So we refer to the kingdom. There's something going on right now that reveals the kingdom of God and the rule of the king, Jesus. And then there's something that is not yet and to come. We're again 
the rule and reign of Jesus. I want to talk about hope, and I want to talk about belief. Two big themes. Why do I want to talk about hope and belief? Because right now, pretty much everything sucks. There is stress, there is turmoil, there is unrest, there is calamity, there is chaos. And many people are asking, will we survive this? There was a poll taken just two years ago where almost half of the people living in the United States do not think that our country will survive. Hope and despair and depression and anxiety are going through the roof, and people are wondering, will I survive? I fear for my life, I fear for my family, I fear for my country, I fear for my very life. In fact, I fear that the world may not survive. Survival is vitally important. You can go 40 days without food. You can go four days without water. You can only go four minutes without air. But how long can you survive without hope? The world is in desperate need of hope. And the scriptures, Jesus Christ, offers that hope for us today. What is hope? Well, hope is defined as this, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. There's an expectation. There's actually a desire for something to happen. And people are trying to find hope in all sorts of things, but I would say this, that you cannot find hope in something that you do not know. You cannot find hope in something that you do not know. As Christians, we do not hope so, but we hope in. And it's the person, the power, and the work of the King, Jesus Christ. So I want to look at first the Scripture about the kingdom of God. There is a future reality. It's just not here yet. And in Mark, it says this. He said, he was saying to them, truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This, this idea about this kingdom of God that will come is actually an incredibly dominant theme in the scriptures. The second coming of Jesus Christ is mentioned in about 1,500 passages in the Old Testament and about 300 in the New Testament. The dominant response over 50 times in the New Testament that we as Christians should think about this is be alert and be ready. Of this King Jesus, there are approximately 330 prophecies that talk about Jesus. 330 225 refer to his second coming. So even as we reflect and even celebrate this first coming of Jesus Christ, remember that the dominant theme in the scriptures is his second coming. 
Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, brought him to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured, metamorphosed. What was inside actually became fully realized. And what did it look like? His garments became radiant, exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared with them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Here was Jesus Christ appeared in a glorified form. And along with him were a glorified Moses and a glorified Elijah, and they were talking with one another. A couple of things I want us to focus on here as we look at this. The kingdom that's to come and for us to have a hope in is something that is glorified, recognized, and face-to-face. There are a lot of things about the kingdom, but what we see in the transfiguration, I just want to touch on three of them. Moses and Elijah and Jesus are in a glorified, resurrected form. And that awaits all of those who have put their trust in Christ, that the grave is not the final destination, but the final destination is actually face-to-face with our God and King in a resurrected, glorified body. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians about the resurrected body. He said, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. And it is raised in power. Some of you physically are suffering and struggling. You deal with chronic diseases, maladies, imperfections in your body and you're finding no real solution for it. Things happen to our bodies. They break down. Brokenness is a dominant theme of life this side of heaven. You have aches and pains. You don't want to shovel this morning. It hurt to get out of bed. And the reality is for those of us in Christ, those days will come at will come to an end. There will be a time of no more disease. There will be a time of no more brokenness. There will be a time, praise God, for no more Advil. There is none of those things. I buy Voltaren cream in the gallon buckets. And many of you do too. Don't ingest it. I'm just saying. But what we experience here will not be what we will experience later on. We will not be in some ethereal, spiritual form. No, we will have glorified, resurrected bodies. In Revelations, it talks about this for what awaits us. It says, he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain because the first things have passed away. The things that trouble you, the things that give you anxiety, the things that cause you stress, the things that cause you to get angry, the things that send you to therapists and counselors, the things that make you cry out for justice, the things that make you cry out for equity. All of those things will be wiped away. We live in a culture 
where we have young people that see no hope for their world, their life, their future. And as a result, they are crying out in protest. They want to see justice. They want to see equity. They want to see things made right. And I would say to you that politicians will not deliver. People will not deliver. If you are looking for equity and you are looking for justice and you are looking for things to be put right, your only hope is in Jesus Christ because he is the only one that can do it. There will be things like joy. There will be things like celebration. There will be things like exaltation that will be the dominant overflowing uh, expression and experience for those who are in Christ. The scriptures go on in Revelations. It talks about the environment in which we will live in. It talks about this new earth this new heavens that Christians will be able to be with their king. And it says, in the city, this is the new Jerusalem that drops down. It has no need for the sun or the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illuminated it. And its lap is the lamb. That's lamp, sorry, typo. And the nations shall walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And in the daytime, for there shall be no night. Its gates will never be closed. They shall bring glory and honor of the nations into it and nothing unclean. No one who practices abominations, lying, shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus Christ came to pay for the penalty of our sin. That penalty for the Christian is gone, never to return. In this life that we live, There is a power that sin can still have, and we have choices to make. And yes, we stumble, and yet there are times when his spirit works within us, and we can have power over sin. But there will come a time in eternity in the future where the very presence of sin will be eradicated, never for all of eternity to come. And if you are one of those people who are so concerned about the earth, the global warming, the pollution being stewards of the earth. If you are worshiping earth, you are being deceived. There is no politician. There is no law. You cannot raise taxes enough to help global warning, but there is one who will make the earth brand new. If you are concerned about the status of the earth, go to the only one who has the solution to making the earth brand new without sin. Your desires may be correct, but they're going in the wrong direction. Protests, march, defacing paintings, gluing yourself to the street for God knows how that's going to help anything, but it's misplaced. Put your eyes on the only one who will ultimately fix what is broken. Many times we as Christians, I would also encourage us of this. Hey, are we in the last days of the last days? Are we in the end of the end times? Who is the Antichrist? What is the mark of the beast? Where is America in in the time of the great tribulation? Questions that deserve some study and some thinking may I encourage us to change our perspective. Instead of end times, how about new beginnings?
because that's what's going to... You know what the end times are to signify? Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, and he is going to write everything that is wrong. And so let's put our focus on him. These are not the end times. These are birth pangs for a new beginning. As we go through Mark and the scriptures there, it talks about Peter. And he says, hey, how about if we build three tents, one for you and Elijah and Moses? Because, because he didn't know what to say. Have you ever been in that situation? I don't know what to say, so I might as well say something. It was a nice tribute. Sounds like something good to say, but they said a cloud descended. It's the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory that led the Israelites through the desert. And the Shekinah glory, and then all of a sudden there was this audible voice said, this is my son. Listen to him. <laughs> Paraphrase. Shut up. Paraphrase. Don't worry about Moses and Elijah. Here's the important one right here. And then all of a sudden the cloud was gone, Moses and Elijah were gone, and all of a sudden there's Jesus in Galilean dress. And they go down the mountain, he goes, do not tell anybody of what you just witnessed until I rise from the dead. Don't tell anybody of this until I rise from the dead. Because until Jesus rises from the dead, nothing else really mattered. He died, but he rose again. The king came, and he looked the enemy and said, give me your best shot, and he did. And then he rose from the dead to prove himself that he indeed is God, and he is king over all. The kingdom of God, there's glory. There's also recognition. They recognized Moses. They recognized Elijah. They had never met Moses. They had never recognized Elijah. Why is this important? We will, brothers and sisters, we will know each other. We will know each other in the kingdom that's to come. For some of you, that doesn't, that's not a big deal. For some of you, that is a great revelation that brings you comfort. My parents both came from extreme poverty. I come from a long line of gilball males that start drinking and smoking in their teenage years and start divorcing early and die in their mid-50s because of heart disease. My dad, uh, excuse me, my dad was thrown out of the house at 14 because they couldn't care for two children. He grew up hard. He married my mom that was in poverty. She wanted an escape. They filed for divorce when I was a little kid. My dad stopped drinking. <laughs> but my parents both got saved in their 40s. When my mom died, at her memorial, the people that would, their friends that they knew, what they would talk about when my mom died was the amazing closeness and intimacy that my parents had in their marriage. 
You see, Jesus Christ transformed their lives, and it transformed their marriage so that the thing that was most memorable about their lives was the intimacy and the joy in their marriage. God had created a new generational chain for my family to follow in. But when my mom died, I remember my dad about two years later, I was visiting and he said, Greg, I have to ask you a question. Will I recognize mom in heaven? And I said, well, of course. Why do you ask? And he said, well, good meaning friends from church. When my dad would ask that question, they would respond and say, oh no, Daryl, oh no. You see, we will be so caught up in Jesus and we will just be kneeling before the throne for all of eternity, praising Jesus, and we won't be cognizant of anything else. Well-meaning Sunday school answer, but it's not the truth. You know what? It's better than that. We will be before a, th- before a throne. We will kneel. We will bow. We will, we will uh, take our life's work that symbolizes a crown. We will put it at his feet. We'll worship him. But yet we will recognize each other. There will be a great wedding feast of the Lamb. We will sit for seven years and feast and drink and celebrate and honor Jesus and we will know each other for all of eternity. And that is something to rejoice in. The other thing is you look at this, Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. They are face to face. This is the language of friendship. Jesus even said, you know, I used to call you slaves, but now I call you friends. The king of all creation, eternity, and the universe, and over us, wants to call us friends and have face-to-face communication for all of eternity in a kingdom to come. That is amazing. That is what is to come. It's not yet... (laughs) but it's coming. It's a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. That is hope, brothers and sisters. It's not, I hope so. No, it's I hope in. And I would encourage you, if you are struggling, if you are are feeling defeated, if the aches and pains are overwhelming at times, the emotional distress is overwhelming, and you look out and it just says, all I see is black, All I see is dark, two things. Turn off the news and open up the Bible and find out the reality of what is to come. Because if we know the reality of what is to come, we can not only endure, we can not only survive, but we can thrive. Well, we're not there yet. (laughs) There is the kingdom of God that is to come, but there's also the kingdom of God that is now, our present reality. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 9. I'm going to read some verses here, and then we're going to come back and unpack it. Starting in verse 14, it says, When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and some scribes were arguing with them. And immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked with them, What are you talking about? They come down the mountain, and what they're finding is there's a big crowd, and there's an argument going on, and there are some scribes there. 
These were the ones who would scribe, write, translate the law, make copies of it. Very learned individuals, very, very arrogant, very antagonistic against Jesus. These are the intellectual scoffers and deniers of Jesus Christ. Do you know any of them? Do you have any of them that you work with? Some of them that might be bosses, supervisors, teachers, professors, doctors, lawyers, whatever it is. These are the intellectual scoffers. And there's also a crowd. There's onlookers, your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers. And they come down and say, what are you ar- what, what's everyone arguing about? We find out the scri- when Jesus shows up, the scribes shut up. And when Jesus shows up, his disciples that are down there, they are also quiet. But yet, verse 17, one speaks up in the crowd. One of the crowd answered him and said, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit, makes him mute. He can't talk. Whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, stiffens out. Told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. So here is a child, a son, so he's not little. And it said he's been possessed by this demonic spirit, and it makes him mute. And what happens, he does, he falls on the ground, he foams at the mouth, he grinds his teeth. And people will say, oh, he, he doesn't have a demonic spirit. He's got, a, he's got epileptic seizures. But it's not an either or. He's got both. Because he said, this is a demonic spirit that makes him mute. Jesus later on will say, you spirit that makes him mute and deaf, you can't speak, you can't talk. He doesn't say anything that this demonic spirit caused him to have this, this malady. Satan hates you. The demonic horde hates you. Now, it's one of two things that could have happened. This kid could have been born with epilepsy. It could have happened. But as we find out in the scriptures, it also said that what happens is this demonic spirit will all all of a sudden cause this kid to thrash around and bang his head. This kid has far exceeded the concussion protocol of the day. And it could have been that with this thrashing and banging around, that with brain damage, he then developed epilepsy. Dr. Luke, in his gospel, refers to this as a mauling, a Rottweiler on a, on a poodle. This is what this demonic spirit does. This is how much the demonic horde hates mankind. And they go and they say, the disciples, we said, cast it out, and they couldn't. Remember Jesus earlier, and Mark said, I'm going to give you the authority to cast out Demons, and they did, but all of a sudden they can't. And so I'm sure that the disciples are there feeling embarrassed, defeated, and confused. Why could we not? At the end of this passage, they said, Jesus, why couldn't we cast it out? And he said, this kind doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting. Jesus is not giving a formula for demonic deliverance. He's giving, he's giving an, an exclamation to dependence. What happens when you pray? We draw near to God. 
What happens when we fast? We draw near to God. When Jesus sends us out for ministry, whether it's, whether it's in the church, whether it's in our home, whether it's in our families, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in our place of work, we are to draw near to God. How many of you in some expression of ministry have experienced defeat, embarrassment, or confusion because it's like, this did not work at all? Do I get an amen? Amen. Yes. And I was wondering, I wonder if over time where it's like, you know what, God? I think I got this. I think I got this. You know, I've been married so long, I got this. We find ourselves no longer praying. You know, God, I I got this. I've been praying for my kids and the little ones and give them a correct path and let me be wise and discerning. And it's like, you know what? They're teenagers now. I got this. (laughs) Yeah, let's see how that works out. Going through this, I had to ask myself, Greg, when was the last time that you fervently and consistently prayed for your marriage and your kids? And when you just kind of go, let me think, it's too long. That's why you're experiencing struggles, confusion, embarrassment, and defeat. The idea is that even in the Great Commission, Jesus said this, first of all, all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've taught you. And... Lo, I am with you always. We focus on this part in the middle, making disciples, doing the work, on mission, and we forget all authority is his. And he goes, let's go together. Whatever it is, let's go together. There's a father, he's desperate. There's a son who's sick, tormented, and mauled. There's an unclean spirit, very present, very evil. And then the king is there. This father said, your disciples couldn't cast it out. And Jesus said, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here. They brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, falling to the ground. He began rolling about, foaming at the mouth. Look what Jesus does. He goes, and he asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? The king looks to the father face to face. Face to face. Friendship, closeness. You have my attention. I've got all my attention on you. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. The father said, this has been happening since childhood. It's often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. You know, we pray a lot of things for the protection of our children, but I don't think it's like, you know what? My son, Andrew, he just likes to all of a sudden throw himself in a well. 
finds a little pond alongside the street, decides to put his face in. Oh, there's a fire. He wants to jump in it. I don't think we have those problems. Again, this is not a little, little child. He goes, but if you can do anything, take pity on us. And Jesus said, if you can. can If? If? He said, all things are possible to him who believes. All things are possible to him who believes. This statement is very familiar to other statements that Jesus has made about faith, believing him and us. All things are possible to him who believes, and the question is, believes in what? Belief in belief, having faith in faith? That's chasing your tail. No, the implication is all things are possible who, to him who believes in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus can do anything. All things are possible for him. All things are possible for him. That's why we go to him. And immediately the boy's father cries out and began saying, I do believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out from him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, Yeah, he be dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and got him up. Jesus goes from having a face-to-face with this father. He had a face-to-face with a demonic entity. And the demonic entity obeys the king of all creation. The demonic entity obeys the one true God who created it before it rebelled, and it chose to rebel. And he said, not only come out, but never enter him again. Jesus All authority is his. That even the demonic obey his every word. That's why when the disciples said, why couldn't we do this this time? And he goes, prayer. And in some translations, prayer and fasting. Draw near to the one who has authority to take care of it. I want to camp here. He goes, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Let's not be hard on the dad because this is the reality for all of us. I do believe there are times when I don't. There are times when I struggle. Again, we cannot trust or believe in someone that we do not know or just choose to ignore. The book of Hebrews says this, faith trust. It's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. It's assurance. It's conviction. It is certainty. And he says, for by it the men of old gained approval. The men of old had a testimony. They had some assurance and they had some conviction. But remember, the men of old also could say this, I do believe, but help my unbelief. For example, John the Baptist 
Jesus' cousin, the forerunner. He said, when the men had come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? John is in prison. The end of his life is coming. And he said, hey, go and tell Jesus. I just want to make sure. I put all my chips on you, Jesus. Are you the one, or is really someone else coming? Here's what Jesus answered, and he said, and he answered, and he said to him, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, uh, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And he said, blessed is he who keeps stumbling over me. It's okay to say, I believe, help my unbelief, but don't stay in your unbelief because the king is here. The king is here, and he's showing that he's the king over the deaf, over the blind, over the dead. And he's proclaiming that kingly message of salvation. Some of us, I think, would say, gosh, if I could have been up on the mountain, (laughs) if I would have seen Jesus, man, man, that's all I need. Here's what Peter says in his gospel, or in his epistle. He says, he's writing to the church, and he says, you know what, for when Jesus received honor and glory from the Father, such an utterance as this was made by him, the majestic glory. He said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, and we ourselves, we heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. He goes, I was there, I saw it, and I heard it. I got a peek into the kingdom that's to come. But he said, and so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. He goes, we saw it. But you know what? We have the prophetic word. We have the scriptures. And as a result, we would do very well to pay attention we would do very well to pay attention because the scriptures are enough to know about the kingdom that's to come. So, we would do well to pay attention. Here's our takeaway for helping with our unbelief. There was a study by the Center of Biblical Engagement, Understanding Biblical Engagement Challenge, the scientific evidence for the power of four, Study to determine the connection of Bible engagement with personal behavior, that is, resisting temptation and growing in discipleship. And they said, let's do something, let's study how often people are into the Scriptures and actually reading it, and these personal behaviors, temptations, things, acts, choices. Here's what they found. People that, Christians, you read your Bible zero times a week. There's no difference. Given to temptation, personal spiritual disciplines, they're not there. Risky behavior, all in on it. You read your Bible zero, day, zero times a week. Oh, you read your Bible one day a week. Still, no noticeable difference in resisting temptation, resisting risky, sinful behavior, and not embracing spiritual disciplines. Read your Bible twice a week. Still. No noticeable difference. Do you see a pattern starting here? Read your Bible three days a week. It is no different in this study from those that don't read their Bible at all. However, what they noticed is when you read your Bible four 
days a week, something happens. Huge lowering of odds of participating in sinful behavior and temptations. Also, huge increases in disciples making disciples, manifesting a new transformed life. They will not be able to say, what, what is the difference? What causes it to happen at four days a week? They will say, we don't know, but this is what we see. We would do well to pay attention to the prophetic scriptures. I do believe, but help my unbelief. And I would ask you, church, what would happen if we really really got to know him. What would happen? I think there would be a number of things that could happen to us. You become students, someone who's discerning, someone who's wise, showing strength of character, assurance, not living in denial, confident rather than pessimistic, Sacrificial instead of selfish. Speaking truth in life instead of whining and complaining. What would happen to you? Men, what would happen to your marriage? Men, what would happen in your home? What would happen to you? These days are crying out for hope. And they're crying out in desperation And the prophetic word we can have assurance in because through the scriptures and through his spirit, transformation can happen and you are being released into your area of the world to have an impact wherever God sends you. What would happen if we chose to do nothing? What would happen if we chose to do nothing? How about on the path of assurance of hope and belief? Because a new world is coming. The king is coming. The king has invaded your life. And he's changing you to have an impact wherever you go. If we know how it ends, we know how, it, how we are to live. But it's not the end that's coming. It's a new beginning. If you do not know Jesus Christ and you have not placed your faith in him, this world of stress, tribulation, confusion, chaos, and breakdown is the closest to heaven that you will ever get. In eternity future, you will look back on these days as the good old days. Because torment is what awaits those who reject Christ. I beg of you. I beg of you. Today can be your day of salvation. You may be here because he's calling you to himself. And I would encourage you to heed the call. And if you have questions, there's going to be people up here after the service. They can answer your questions. And this may be your first day in a new and glorious kingdom. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, that we do not live in a fantasy world, 
but we live in a world of assurance and certainty. Therefore, we can have hope and we can believe in you because you are the one true king. Draw us to yourself. Draw us to your scriptures. We want to hear from you. You speak in your word and that's where we'll find it. Spirit, move all of us that next step closer so that we can be your people in this world for your glory and the benefit of others. Our joy will then be fulfilled. And we ask it through the King, Jesus Christ. Amen.